happy Sunday, you beautiful ranching soul, or whatever day of the week it is you are listening to this. I am really excited to be bringing you another Farmer's Market segment. So from season one, we did a Farmer's Market segment with Megan Johnston of Riverbend Cattle Co. This season, for season two, we have Allison Askew joining us from California. Now, if you're not familiar with Allison, stop this episode, go back to the last one that we released called J Beef, and listen to Allison's story and all the amazing information and advice and insight she provided during her episode that we launched a couple weeks ago. This episode is more of a how-to episode where we can dive into the nitty-gritty of farmer's markets, how to get started, how to present yourself, all of the fantastic things you need to know to sell your beef at market. Now, little disclaimer, just like season one, Megan is from Florida. We talked all about farmer's markets kind of in her area. Allison is from California, so we're on completely opposite coast for this one. So make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure that you check with your own area's market manager as well as your health boards and your secretary of state for any additional business licenses or anything you need to sell your beef at market or any product at market. Some of them have really strict rules. So make sure you do your own research and get everything dialed in before showing up. I would hate for something to happen because you failed to look into maybe the specific details for your state, even your county, whatever it might be, wherever you're going, look into the rules. Farmers market managers are very helpful. Call them up, ask them what they require, and they will walk you through that. So just wanna add that disclaimer in there. I know Allison talks about it as well, but keep that in mind when you're listening to this and you go, hey, that's a fantastic idea. It might not be allowed in your area. So just wanna throw that out there, but let's head on into all things farmers market. It is a two part series. So here's part one. There's a lot of information packed in this episode. It's another long one, but it's totally worth it. Part two is gonna be just a touch shorter. So we will be releasing part two later in the week. Are you ready to gear up for a fantastic 2021 season? Let's head on into it. Welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson, and this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. Welcome back to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. I have Allison Askew joining us again for a really neat topic where we're going to dive into farmer's markets and all the questions that are probably turning around in your head. If you're wanting to get started with farmer's markets, if you're already in it and you want to improve your farmer's market game, Allison is here to guide us through this. She's going to be my co-host today, and this is just going to be a lot of fun. So Allison, thank you so much for joining me again for another great episode. Thanks for having me again, Logan. I'm really excited to be here and talk all things farmer's market. We had so much fun with your last episode, which aired before this one, and there was great feedback on this. A lot of people really enjoyed listening to your story and all of your information and knowledge and wisdom that you shared. So thank you for that. I had a lot of great feedback that you really inspired a lot of folks. So I think they're going to be really excited to hear even more from you as we dive into the nitty gritty of expanding their businesses or their business aspirations by journeying into farmer's markets. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so we've got a lot of topics to cover for you guys today. So Allison, I'm going to kind of just start with some basic questions and we'll just kind of roll in and see 
where it leads us. And hopefully folks will get a lot of fun stuff out of this. So my first one I'm really curious about, how do folks find the right market for them? How would you suggest people determine which markets to stay with, which ones to try and pursue, and at what point should they consider maybe changing it up and trying a different market venue? Sure. Well, first off, just for starters, you know, I'm really glad we're talking about this now <laughs> because yeah. even though we're heading into winter, this is when you really want to shift your focus and get prepared, build your foundation, I should say, to start for farmers market, do your research. So, you know, which market you want to be in. This is when you get all the paperwork done and get all your brochures made and whatnot. Because once farmers market season hits, you will be very busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of fun doing farmers market, but spring hits and it's a busy time of year. So now is when you want to make sure you get all your ducks in a row. So you're really prepared for it. So I'm really glad that we're doing this now. And then also just as a quick disclaimer, you guys keep in mind, I'm in California and I know rules and regulations for selling beef is different in every state. So just kind of take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt and check what your rules and guidelines are. You might have more flexibility in your state and you might not. So just keep that in mind. As for farmer's market, I think deciding which market you want to be in really starts with you honing in on who you really are as a beef producer and sitting down and taking the time to really know who you are as a rancher and what kind of product you provide. And I know that might sound silly and it really is actually the hard work of it all, but the more you hone in on who you are and what you are providing, the better it's going to make you when it comes to pricing, who your target market is, and then finding that farmer's market that hits that target market. So I would even sit down with pen and paper and write out a list of things that make you who you are. You know, is your beef grass fed and finished or are you grain finishing your beef? And even know, you know, what percentage of fat is your beef? How does your beef cook? Um, what does your beef taste like? And I know that might even sound silly, but we do taste us quite often. Um, I'll cook up our beef and compare it with somebody else's beef just so I know where we are and how our beef tastes different. So the more familiar you are with your beef and your product, the easier it's going to be to find your target market. Because again, you're going to want to go <laughs> to your market and have it the, be the most beneficial for you. You're going to want to make the most money you can at your market. You don't want to go and just peddle beef. So finding that match is really important. So some of the questions to ask yourself, like I said, are you 100% grass-fed or do you grain finish? Is your beef all natural with no antibiotics or hormones or do you put that in your beef? How is your beef raised? Is it pasture, free range? Does it end on a, a feedlot? Are you organic or non-organic? And this doesn't have to be what's on your labels. I'm not talking labels here, just what your product is. What kind of breed of cattle are you raising? People get really interested in that as well. Like I said, what does your beef taste like compared to others? What your fat percentage is and how your beef cooks. 
And then just know who you are as a rancher and what you believe in. And when it comes to how your food is raised, processed, and consumed, you want to know your belief system in that as well. I totally agree with that. A lot of folks ask a lot of questions that uh, to us in the industry would kind of be like no-brainers, if you will. But you think about your customers, where they're coming from, where all this is so new to them. And so you're absolutely right, being prepared to answer those questions and determining your market that way too. Because a lot of folks are very curious about what breed people are raising for beef and the differences between grass finished and grain finished. So I love how you went into that. And also you mentioned like sampling, having samples for your beef. And like Allison said, each state will have different regulations on that. So you can check with your health boards and whatnot, but that's a fantastic way for people to try out what you're selling and making, like I've seen this before, um, people making little skewers with they're, they're like hamburgers on a stick without the yeah. bun. So people have like lettuce and tomato and then a, a meatball essentially, but it's your hamburger and seasoned however you would season that. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard that a lot of people really like that because they can taste it right there as opposed to just having your frozen beef and people have to prepare it at home. But if they try it prepared, how you would prepare your meat, because you know a lot of folks don't realize that sometimes you have to prepare different finishes of beef a certain way to get the best flavor and quality out of it and tenderness too. So that's a really great point you brought up there. Just knowing your beef, how it cooks, you know, the breed we run, we do a Coriani Angus cross. And the reason we do that is because we've actually matched cattle to our environment so that our cattle are really thriving. And it's probably why it makes such great beef. The cattle aren't stressed. They're raised in an environment where they can thrive. And then it also affects the type of beef we have. We have a very, very lean beef. The Coriani makes it naturally very lean. So knowing that, it gives me the you know heads up that I need to find the target market that's looking for 100% grass-fed and finished. That comes from cattle raised on open range and pasture and is naturally extra lean. We are less than 5% lean. So our beef is really lean and then also makes it cook really fast. So you want this to be a successful experience for the consumer. So the more details you know about your beef as you're handing over the product to the customer, the more information you can give them to get them set up to have a successful experience with your beef so that they come back and buy more and you get a customer for life. So yeah, step one would just sit down and really determine who exactly you are and the product that you are selling. And then that will help you do the next step of determining your prices, which I actually found this to be the most time consuming for me, at least, (laughs) because there's so many aspects that go into it. Obviously, you have to Make sure your profit margin is there. Then also just seeing what's the demand in your area. And when I went to do research to kind of see, okay, this is who I am. What are the other ranches selling their beef at that has a similar product? And the prices were all over the map. (laughs) And I went, oh my word. Okay, this is going to be a lot more difficult than expected. So then you kind of hone in on 
you know, what does our profit margin need to be? And then you kind of see that price range, look at those ranches too, because you don't want to put yourself out of the market. And obviously you don't want to, you know, underprice your beef as well. And then that actually then will lead to what market you want to be a part of. For example, our local market, we still participate in our local farmers market, but we do barely, very poorly at it. It's really kind of a donation of our time and to show support of people buying farm direct food. But where we live, a lot of people have property. So a lot of people are raising their own food here. And even if they aren't big beef producers, they might, you know, have one steer on their one acre that they raise every year for themselves. So it's also not a high income area as well. So we aren't going to make top dollar on our beef. So that is why it's really important. Again, step one, figure out who you are, what your product is. Step two, determine your prices. Step three, now you have to find the market where you're going to hit those customers that want your product and are willing to pay that price for your product. For us, it actually means a little bit of traveling, which I know is not ideal. We travel three hours one way to get to one of our markets. Um, wow. Yeah, every week. <laughs> but with that said, it has been worth every single penny because it hits our target mar- market to a T. And we'll talk about it down the road here too. I guess I should have said this in the opening statement, but I want people to keep an open mind about farmer's market because it's not just for the smaller beef retailer. I know a lot of people think of it as more of a kind of quaint market where you go if you just have a few animals to sell. Farmers markets are also, they also accommodate big producers. And there are so many other avenues that it leads to being part of a farmer's market. So definitely don't think that because you're a bigger operation, farmer's markets won't meet your needs and won't be beneficial for you. That's a good point, Allison, because there's a couple big operations around here that participate in some of the farmer's markets. And They're big cow-calf, but they also have a direct-to-consumer side. So it's a really good point you bring up there. Right. So there's two benefits that we have found for the farmer's markets that we attend. When you go to farmer's market, you want to have the bigger picture in mind. For those of you that didn't hear in in our last episode, two-thirds of our business is selling bulk beef, which is whole, half, and quarter animal. The other third is what we have used to go to farmer's market. My end goal is not the farmer's market. My end goal is to gain more customers that want to buy beef in bulk. Because the less stops that you have to make, the better, right? (laughs) We're looking for minimum time of making deliveries and getting the most out of each delivery. So we really use farmer's markets as more of a marketing for us. So farmer's markets are great because you're making kind of like your bread and butter there. You know, you've got a nice weekly paycheck doing the weekly market. But my end goal is always to be gaining another customer that come the end of farmer's market season, you're heading into fall, 
you're hoping they want to stock up for the winter and they're going to buy the bulk beef from you. And also, as a beef producer, it is a great tool when it comes to finding restaurants to have your beef and finding local co-ops or stores to find your beef. And there's a couple different ways that works. One of the farmer's markets we attend, a lot of the local restaurant owners actually attend the market to get their produce. There's a lot of farm-to-table restaurants there. And we have picked up a few restaurants because they come, purchase a little bit of our beef to try it, and it opens the door to this great opportunity to work with a restaurant. We also got introduced to a fellow farmer has a big store that's opened year-round on his operation. And a lot of his customers that were coming to the, or a lot of our customers that came to the farmer's markets also were shopping at his store. So mm-hmm. farmer's market comes to an end. Where do these people continue to buy our beef? They go to a store that's open year round. And I mean, it's a win-win for everybody. It gives him a beef product when he has great produce that makes them more of a one-stop shop. And for us, it doesn't end the selling process. Just to give you an example of where that can lead to, that one store this year quadrupled in their sales of our beef this last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what it also does is it gives you an added paycheck when you go to farmer's market. You build these relationships. So for example, we would earn the business of a restaurant. Well, they would just depend on you bringing their weekly beef delivery to the farmer's market with you. So you're already getting a huge paycheck just by going to the farmer's market because you know you have that one large order. And then everything else you sell in the day is just the icing on the cake. So in the beginning, you might kind of feel like you're peddling beef, but it really does open to more opportunities to make more money in other ways just by attending the market. I like how you went into that, Allison, because I think it would be discouraging if folks went into farmer's markets thinking that, you know, right off the bat, they're going to be selling because there's people there. But the way you describe it, it's very much like the handshake to your business. It's an introduction and you're making a presence and sharing what you're doing. And then it leads to other opportunities. And like you said, most of your business is half, whole, quarter of your beef, but they're starting out of just trying it. And then your end goal is getting them even farther into purchasing beef instead of just what you're doing at the farmer's markets. And I think that's really important for beginners like myself. I think it'd be very discouraging, you know, at first, if you sell a couple pounds of beef and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But if you have the goal bigger than the farmer's market, like you said, you know, your end goal is more than just what you're selling at the farmer's market. I think that's really inspiring and encouraging. So for anyone listening in that is in that position, remember that. Have your goal bigger than just what you're doing at that market. Like Allison just explained, that was gold there because I think it would be super easy to be discouraged because you are putting yourself out there. It's a lot of effort and you got to invest a lot of time and money to get started in there. And that was fantastic, Allison. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So yeah, just keep the big picture in mind and be patient with it. And like I said, you earn business outside of the market, but you're still making your delivery on market day. So it ends up being a very successful 
day for you, whether it be dropping off at a restaurant on your way to the farmer's market or bringing bigger orders. We actually, our freezer could hold a quarter of an animal plus all the beef that we needed to sell in a day at farmer's market. And just kind of by trying new things out, we saw quarters were really popular with the people at the farmer's market. So it's actually my husband suggested, you know, what if we always just threw a quarter beef order in the bottom of the freezer? So if anyone started to ask about it, we could say, well, we have one on hand if you'd like to take it home with you today. And almost every single week, there was always someone that took a quarter beef home with them. Oh, wow. That's impressive. You know, don't limit yourself. Keep keep an open mind and keep your focus on the big picture while you're selling, you know, one cut of beef at a time. So just to, to backtrack a little bit here, because yeah. this would be my thought, I'm very much in the same type of location setting as you are in Montana. You know, we live over an hour away from some of these bigger towns. So for somebody who might be in that situation, like you said, you're showing up and supporting your local community with your local farmer's market. Mm-hmm. At what point were you like, okay, it's going to be, because in the beginning, it could be really scary to invest three hours to drive to a bigger hub or bigger town, bigger market. At what point were you guys like, we need to give this a shot? What was kind of the thought process behind that when you were maybe realizing your local market wasn't going to be where it was going to be at as far as expanding your business? Sure. We actually started our local market and traveling a little bit the very first year we did farmer's market. Again, to back up to finding your farmer's market, we kind of already knew our target market wasn't going to be our own community. So we started reaching out in areas where that target market was. And then we researched what markets were in that area, which that's important too. And again, I'm glad we're talking about this now because I just went to those areas, looked up what farmers markets were in those areas. And a lot of them already had a beef producer and did not want a second one. Some people will, some people like the free market. They like the competitive market and will allow more than one producer in. Some are just so small that they don't see it as a benefit. So Again, that's why it's so important that right now you need to be doing your homework to see where you're going to attend the farmer's market. So we did find one that had an opening and it was our target market. It was, even though it was, you know, a three hour drive, it was still doable. And at that point it was just, okay, let's dive in and give it a shot. I guess that's just where the risk comes in. (laughs) I don't know if I have an answer for you on that. It was a really, it's been our best market. So for us, I guess it was the right risk to take (laughs) because right from the get-go, people were really happy to see us. We were the only beef people there. I guess they hadn't had a beef producer in a couple of years. So it was already a successful big market. I guess what you could do we didn't just because of our time frame, but you could always go attend the market first and just kind of check it out and see if it's going to be a fit for you and see what the traffic is and whatnot. We just kind of dove in because you, you can't, you can always quit. Sure. But that's a really good point for like, say for people in my position, if you're listening in and you're one of 
I'll be doing farmer's markets in a year or two years, start attending them now and invest in a little road trip and check out the markets, check out the vibe, see which one would be your target audience, target market, and just start experimenting that way. And then getting to know also some of the market staff and discuss that. And then also ask questions like Allison mentioned, they might already have a beef producer. And one thing might be good is to ask, well, are they selling grass finished or grain finished and see if maybe there is a beef producer, but they're only serving one market and maybe you're the, a, a different niche. So it's good to ask those questions too, when you're doing your research, but Allison, you're so right. Now would be the time to be calling and researching, even though markets aren't going on in most of the country because of winter, this would be a really good time to even be calling the market managers. They're not going to be as busy right now either. So I'm glad you went into that as well, because doing your research and all of the kind of the foundation work now would be really beneficial. Yeah. And you know what, if you ask any farmer's market manager, they always say they start the next year as soon as they close out one year. So the market managers are working on it now as well. Good. So now's the time you want to call them and get in with them. And like you said, going and checking out the market, I would also really pay attention to what other vendors are there because you want to make sure that the other products that are being sold at the farmer's market match the quality of your products as well. You don't want to have this really high quality beef like we do and have a less quality produce right next to you. And also, I would go talk to vendors because your vendors are really going to affect the market. We got really lucky with ours. Our vendors are like It's like our second family. (laughs) Everyone is super supportive. Everyone is really kind. And they're vendors that take great pride in what they do. And like us, they build their business on relationships with customers. They're talking to their customers, getting to know them, talking about their produce. If I attended a market where everyone's just kind of sitting there on their phones or not really getting involved, I don't know if I'd want to be a part of that. Because you have to rely not just on yourself, to bring people in, but the market as a whole, how much traffic is it going to be bringing in? This is a great point. And maybe we should jump into this topic because we're kind of on it. Okay. That's a really good point because if most of the vendors are on their phones and not engaging, then the crowd, the audience that is there, they're not going to be already engaging with people. So if you're the vendor that is reaching out and saying hi to everybody walking by, but the rest of the market is not, most of the people there are already going to be shut off. They're not going to be in that mode because nobody's paying attention to them. If you're the only vendor doing that, that makes it really hard. So I love how you brought that up to pay attention to what the other market vendors are doing and how their energy is, because that's going to affect the whole crowd, so to speak, you know, all the customers there. So one of the things we were going to talk about is your energy and persona and stuff. So Allison, you brought it up so beautifully and I think that's a good point because when I was selling leather goods at one of our local farmer's markets, I knew that I needed to touch everybody that walked by my booth. So I raised my vibration, my energy, which sounds kind of woo-woo, but I said, (laughs) hi, or how's it going? Yes. Thanks for being here to every single person that walked by. And my husband was there and he's like, you're nuts. I can't believe you're talking to every single person. And I'm like, they're walking by my booth for a reason. And even if I don't have a product they're looking for, I want them to feel recognized and seen or heard, even if somebody just was coming and chit-chatting. So I made sure to say hi or thank you for coming today. Isn't this great weather? I'm so glad you're here enjoying it with us to everybody. And it was exhausting. At the end of the day, I could hardly (laughs) talk. 
but it's really important that you're putting off that good energy and good vibes. So I'd love to hear kind of your spin on this too, Allison, and the importance that you found with your experiences. So yeah, this is perfect. We'll talk about this, then we can circle back around to kind of what you want to have for your display and your table and whatnot. But you are absolutely right, Logan, in about putting yourself out there. And I'm going to bet that this is probably one of the hardest things for most of us ranchers, because by nature... We're reclusives. <laughs> you know, I am exactly. out on the ranch in the middle of nowhere because I like being by myself and I'm okay with that. <laughs> We're all a bunch of introverts. We are. And I mean, Jeff also, because we would attend farmer's market as a family in the beginning. And, you know, I've got this cowboy that I don't think he cares if he ever saw another person in his whole life, you know, and we'd get to farmer's market and you do, you see people kind of get set up and then they sit there on their devices and you guys, it does not work. It'll make all the difference in the world. You just got to put your ranch yourself away for the day. And yes, you will be exhausted. I finished my day at farmer's work and I just think, thank the Lord. I don't have to see anyone for another week. <laughs> I'm so tired, <laughs> but it's very important. And it will make all the difference in the world if you make yourself approachable and you do i highly encourage you to do just as you said logan we would sit in our booth and everybody that passed by you just you don't have to be you know a used car salesman and just attack these people but a simple good morning how are you today it's a beautiful day being approachable and yeah. making people feel comfortable to come up to your booth, making eye contact and smiling. It's these little things that will make all the difference in the world. And again, something we talked about in the last episode that I cannot emphasize enough is building a relationship with your customers. They are there as a consumer. They're showing up at a farmer's market, which is pretty inconvenient for them. It's not like going to a grocery store at your own leisure when it fits into your schedule. They are taking their time out of their day on a time when farmer's market is the only morning available. You have a lot of people that will leave their office to come to the farmer's market. You have people that are trying to fly through in the morning before they're getting their kids off to school or, you know, it's just a lot more inconvenient for them. So if they're taking their time to come to farmer's market, you know it's important for them to get the best quality food. They're trying to support local farmers and ranchers. Show them the common courtesy of taking your time to really answer any questions that they have, to just get to know them and help them with their purchase. And really, you know, the more you're building your relationship with them, you might have to make a little, take a little more time now for a little less time later, because once you build that relationship with them, they really have a trust with you. And it gets to the point where you will see them at your table week after week after week. You know, they're going to buy something. You can just take the time to talk with them for a few minutes. That's a good point. And I love how you brought that up too. Like people are jetting in and out before work or getting their kids to school or to their Saturday activities. If it's a Saturday market yeah. And if you're new, say it's your first time showing up, they're not used to seeing your booth. They yeah. might blitz right by you. So this is really hard, I think, uh, especially for somebody who would be new starting out. 
not only are you putting yourself out there and out of your comfort zone, just showing up and participating in the market, you've really got to stand out and make sure you're reaching these people because they're not used to seeing your booth there. It is an inconvenience and people are taking time out to be there and we need to show up and serve them. You're there to serve your current customer base and what could potentially be your new customer base and just showing up and coming from a servant's heart, I think is really important. And just saying good morning to someone, that might be all it takes. Honestly, they could be walking by and you just simply say good morning and they kind of take a second look and maybe you'll pause long enough to get their attention and make a sale. Yep, that's very true. And we also have to look at it this way. People are, they're craving human interaction, whether they realize it or not, because we are so, we communicate so much through devices. I think people are not used to communicating with strangers or hearing a good morning or, hey, thank you so much for being here. Uh, That was the one that got me the most response was, thanks for coming out today. Thanks for sharing your Saturday with me. Our market that I went to was on Saturdays and it caught people off guard. And like you said, they might pause long enough to make that connection with you and it could potentially lead into a sale or a great customer relationship. So you're so right on that. Just taking the time to say good morning. Yeah. It's amazing what that'll get you because people don't hear that enough since we're all kind of in our own worlds and communication always seems to happen through cell phones six out of their seven days a week, you know, when they're not coming to market. So (laughs) I like that. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. So kind of circling back around now, because I, I know you mentioned this early on. So I think this one is what would confuse or intimidate a lot of people getting started. People are just looking at this like, okay, I got to get out there and sell my beef. I'm raising my steers and now I got to get out there. And we briefly went into kind of determining your price range. Uh What do you think would be some great tips for folks? I know you mentioned it was kind of all over the board when you were looking at it. How did you kind of dial in or what formula did you guys land on to determine where you should be for your market in your area? And I know this will change throughout the nation, but it'd be awesome if you had just some kind of general tips that helped you guys land on your price point. Sure. So yeah, first, of course, you know, we had to take a look at our own profit margin to make sure that we weren't making a comfortable living doing this. And then once we had that dollar amount, we combined it with the quality of product that we were selling. And we still to this day do one of two things. We look online at other ranchers that we feel raise their cattle like we do, have the same quality product that we do, and we see what their prices are. We look at what packages they have. Sometimes you want to do a similar package. Sometimes that doesn't work for your operation. But we like to kind of check in with those other ranchers every once in a while, kind of see what they're doing in their business. And then we also still go into the stores in that area. We'll go into, you know, a big retailer and see what they're selling their beef at. Or we can even go into one of the co-ops. And just see what the price ranges are, again, on a product that's comparable to yours. So I'm not going to go in and compare the price of our beef to something that is done in mass production. Sure, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So you want to keep that in mind. And then you kind of just find where you fall 
into that area. But those two things, looking at your competitors and also what's happening in the stores, that'll really help you narrow down where you should be. And there's always room to change. And you'll kind of learn as you go. We have a lot of people come up to our booth and look at our prices and take one look and they're like, oh my word, you know, I, I can go to such and such store down the road and get a pound of beef for $2.99. And it's like, well, you're not going to get the same quality. And then we have people that come up and are amazed because they know what high quality beef we have. They think our prices are really low and really competitive. So even after your first year, you might do some adjusting. You're going to see what cuts sell really well, what cuts don't sell. So don't feel like just because you're setting a price at the beginning, that's what you're going to have to stick to. And you can be creative down the road. You know, we'll get into how to sell your beef in the different cuts. But the first year I kept having our animals cut the same month after month while I hit the middle of summer. And all of a sudden I'm not selling any of our roast because no one's cooking a roast in the middle of summer. You know, I did a little special on it just to get the beef moved. And then I learned the next year, not, not to have it cut that way, but don't get so afraid. Nothing is forever. Nothing is set in stone. Figure out those prices and you'll, you'll quickly learn what you need to adjust, you know, once you get into the market and you can always lower your prices. Our prices are marked for our top market. Again, in our local area, the, target market is just not there to pay the higher prices. So then I have special prices for the locals. So if anything, maybe start a little higher because you can always have a special, put your products on sale, which I know you don't really, you know, you don't want that to become a regular thing, but you do have that in your back pocket. That's a really good point you bring up because I think a lot of folks, whether they're doing farmer's market or not, understanding your profit margin. So for those starting out and listening in, or even if you've been in it for a while, it's something you have to continuously look at is what your profit margin in. Cause I think a lot of folks can end up working for free essentially, yeah. you know, maybe just breaking even and not even realizing it. And they're just spinning their wheels in place. So it's something I think that's really important to really research how to determine your profit margin and continually check back on that. And you're absolutely right. You can always run specials and you can always lower your prices. It's a lot harder to raise your prices. So it's something that's really important to pay attention to no matter what type of business you have, but especially going into your markets and whatnot. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up too, because yeah. I think a lot of folks drop the ball there because they want to be competitive. They want to have a sale, but they might not realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot and barely breaking even on their costs just to be able to get that sale. Yeah. Selling your product, again, I think your cornerstone for that is make a, con a connection with your customer. You heard me say it in the first episode we did over and over. I know I have a great product. I know once I get my beef into somebody's hands, they are going to come back forever because the beef is so good. So my goal is to get customers walking into my booth, again, having that persona, saying good morning, welcoming it you know, kind of drawing them into your booth and then just make a connection with them and get to know them, get personal, talk about their lifestyle, talk about how they're cooking. That'll help you better address what kind of cuts they might be interested in. Again, you want this to be a successful 
experience, you don't want to just peddle your beans. So find out, you know, are they a large family? Is it just a couple? Do they eat a lot of beef in a week? Is it a special treat for them? Are they grilling? Are they crock potting? Really get to know them. Then you'll know what cuts that they might be interested in. So that's a key thing in, in selling your beef. And again, you know, I noticed even as I was building relationships with customers, the more at ease they feel in your booth, customers will start talking amongst each other. I had a gal come in one time. There's, I remember it so clearly, three women standing in my booth and one said, oh, I made the best tacos with your stew meat. And the gal behind her said, how did you do that? And then the, another <laughs> her, and they all start talking and everyone starts, I mean, I think I sold 10 pounds of stew meat just right then, but that's because you're having these conversations and other people hear it. I cannot tell you enough talking, have that open lines of communication and other customers hear what you're talking about. And somebody will come up and be like, oh, I just absolutely love this cut. I want to do it again. And it helps other people want to buy that cut as well. Also, another tip for, I guess we're talking about making the most of your sales for your beef, changing your cuts with the season. We have that flexibility because we harvest every month which I highly recommend to people to do that. You don't have the cost of storage and it gives you the flexibility to change your cuts to meet the needs of your clientele. So again, like I talked about before, our roast and stew meat and soup shanks, those are more fall winter type cuts. And then your steaks and briskets and ground beef, those are gonna be your summertime cuts. So if I'm harvesting every month, I switch it up. So instead of having a seven bone chuck roast, I have it cut into chuck steak. And then you aren't sitting on that cut that's left over. You're making the most and you have a quicker turnover of your product instead of it just taking up freezer space and getting older by the day. I also might just simply have more ground beef made as well in the summertime months because I know other cuts aren't gonna sell so much and try new things we've learned a lot just trying new cuts and again this comes from having that customer relationship if they are comfortable with you and you have a relationship they're gonna start asking you for specific cuts that has been very beneficial for us to harvest every month because if I don't have that cut on hand I will probably be harvesting something in the next week or two and I can provide that cut for that customer. People love that. They love knowing that they can get exactly what they want from you. I think also this would be an important factor to have a good working relationship with your butcher. Yeah. So you could change up the cuts and be able to bounce ideas off of them and then also let them know, you know, your different seasons, you're going to have different cut requests. And so I think that's another really good point that maybe somebody getting started might not think about. They might just send their animal in and have it the standard process, you know, standard cuts that the butcher would typically do. So that's a really good point to bring up of having different cuts for the different seasons. And while we're on that topic, because you mentioned how you guys moved into processing a steer monthly. So for somebody who's used to you say they're getting all their steers at once and yeah. they're already about the same time, what's your best tip for people to transition into monthly? How did you guys 
end up changing your herd schedule to do that? Do you have any quick tips on that? That kind of evolved just by how we were working as well. We are, we're very natural in all that we do. And it actually kind of works for us because of how we even run our cattle. I know a lot of people, you know, when you're sending your cattle to market, you do have to have all your calves born as close together as possible. But because we're a ranch direct source, we have a little more flexibility selling the beef. So we, we still want to only expose our cows for a certain amount of time to the bulls. But if it's a little more spread apart, you know, if our cows are calving for three months, which that can be a totally different topic too, because <laughs> we don't, Coriani have a 99% success rate. We do not have to watch our cattle calve like a lot of operations do. It is not a big to do for us. Our cows are very successful at calving on their own. Because they're in a natural environment, we don't have sicknesses. Uh, when they Our springs here are pretty mild. You're not having calves get sick. So we don't have to put in as much energy and effort and time into our calving season. So if the calves, if it takes three months for everyone to calve, that's fine for us. So earlier in the year, you're going to be doing the older steers. And then the later you get into the year, you kind of have that wiggle room with some of the calves that were born later. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That, that answered that perfectly. Cause I think a lot of folks, when they first get into this, you know, they're used to the standard, everyone's calving in, you know, a 45 day window or, right. you know, whatever it might be just really close together. Uh, so this is really good insight here because you do have that flexibility when you're doing direct to consumer yeah. instead of a large cow calf operation. So this is something that's really neat. I'm glad you went into that. You can yeah. spread out your calving seasons and have your beef ready, you know, your steers ready to be processed into beef at different times throughout the year. So thank you for answering that. Cause a lot of folks, I don't think realize that, like, I know I didn't, when I was first getting started, not realizing that, oh, I can do different things because I'm a smaller operation. I need to do what works best for my little operation, as opposed to what these larger successful operations are doing. Right. Well, and we talked about this in the first episode too, Logan, being able to be flexible without compromising your standards. Yes. And Jeff is really, really good at that better than I am. You know, I'm a little more, well, this is like you said, tradition, or this is how it's supposed to be done. It's okay to stop and step back and say, well, what is the big deal? <laughs> you know, is this really, <laughs> what is it going to compromise the calves that are being born, the cows that are calving? Is it going to compromise the quality product we have? And it doesn't, it doesn't change any of those aspects for us. Or even when you have an operation that's our size, we will step back and take a look at our heifers. With the demand this last year, we have in the past always held back our first year heifers and, you know, added them to the, to the herd so we could continue to grow because we don't buy cattle from outside. And this year, because of the demand, we chose to actually harvest half of our heifers instead of incorporating them back into our cow-calf operation. So that's another hint you can do is maybe you hold back a few heifers so they aren't exposed and it gives you that flexibility if you have a bigger demand and you need more beef. There it is. Yeah, that's good advice for 
those trying to figure out how to make it happen. Cause you know, especially getting started and you're wanting to grow your own herd by breeding yourself, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get a heifer calf or a bull calf. And right. you know, you might get one bull calf and 15 heifers. And you're like, right. I only have one deer. <laughs> and so that's a really good point that maybe somebody starting out might not realize is, Oh, okay. It's not traditional to do that, but you can do that. Yeah. And that's what works for the smaller operations. Save some to continue growing your herd and then process the others as steers for beef. Yes. And you know, bulls, I was actually shocked. I, I found it to be common, but we actually had a fellow rancher that was totally surprised we processed our bulls. Really? Some of our bulls, when they're done, they get turned into ground beef and our Coriani bulls make really, really, really good ground beef. Ground beef's going to be your biggest seller. I, I would think that yeah. kind of across the board for everybody. So that's another reason we can harvest every month is it's also, you know, when we cull our herd, we get everything prep checked. And if you're open, you're ground beef. Yeah. That's interesting. That guy was surprised by that. Cause I, I mean, I, I'm very new to the game, but I knew that was something that you could do it. Yeah. It's cull your herd and ground yeah. beef. And you got a lot of ground beef supply there Right. on a, a full size, full grown animal if you need to. Right. Which you're going to want excess ground beef. So if you have a few open cows, you might have to just keep them in a separate, which we have that access. We have pasture and we have thousands of acres. So we do have a pasture. We can put our open cows in, separate them. And then because we're harvesting every month when we need extra ground beef, well, that's when they get pulled in. So there's ways about going about it where you make it work for you and Again, then you're getting the cuts you want during the seasons you want, you have, and making the most, you know, from your beef. And you want that quick turn time too, because we're in an industry, by the time you have your beef in your hand, you've paid for everything. You have yeah. fed this animal, you have paid for your labels, you have paid for the harvesting, you've paid for the packaging. So now you're sitting on. 100% investment. So you want to get that money back as soon as possible. And when we harvest every month, we can do that. We're getting a return immediately on our investment and it keeps your cash flow really optimal. You're absolutely right. You know, there's all sorts of different ways you can go about doing that. And back to your the ground beef, you know, a lot uh-huh. of folks, that is the cheapest way to feed a family to get protein into their meals is with ground beef. So a lot of folks, you know, they're using ground beef or chicken dishes as the majority of their meals. So right. uh, do you guys do a lot of like ground beef bundles? Have you found success with that to encourage people to buy bundles? We do. So again, you want fewer stops for the most money, right? So yeah. in addition to selling individual cuts, we do put certain packages together, which that can be a little tricky too, because you don't want to put a discount on your bulk ground beef. And then you're left with all these high-end cuts that you can't sell. So <laughs> so we have several packages. We do do just a ground beef packages. So we sell it in 25-pound packages. And then there's another price break at 50 pounds. And those are awesome because you can sell 25 or 50-pound packages just one after another. And then we also have a few different packages where I do incorporate 10 pounds of ground beef plus these higher end steaks, but then you get a price break on all of it. 
And with the demand, though, we did a lot of that in the beginning to really get that exposure with our beef. So people were trying every cut you can possibly have. And now because our beef is in such demand, we actually only sell the bulk ground beef in packages and everything else is sold as individual cuts. That's a good way of doing that because I'm sitting here listening in and I'm like, this is a great idea. And then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, so for somebody listening in, I don't want you to be intimidated in the beginning for people who have just a handful of steers every year, because you'll get to the point where you'll have you know, be able to process monthly or be able to do these larger bundles or larger quantities of being able to have these bundles like Allison and her husband, Jeff, are able to do, but don't be discouraged if you have just a few and you're thinking, man, I wouldn't be able to put together a lot of bundles. You can always say you're sold out of something, which then appears like there's, it creates a greater demand Correct. and you can build a wait list off of that. Sure. They might buy from somebody else in the meantime, but just wanted to interject that in here. Cause I know for myself getting started before I learned of that, I was like, oh, it's going to take me forever to be able to have enough beef to provide for people. But keep in mind, starting out, your customer base is going to be small and then it's going to grow into like Allison and Jeff. So don't be intimidated listening in because there's different ways, which we'll touch on that too, that you can start with some small bundles and then have your individual cuts. Or if you're somebody who would rather sell quarters, halves and holes, I just don't want you to be intimidated listening in thinking you have to have all of these different things starting out, which you don't. This is just really great stuff to be able to aspire and grow into as well. And that's the beauty of farmer's market. Yeah. If you're in with a store or a restaurant, you don't have as much flexibility. They want a certain product at a certain price, a certain quantity, each delivery. Farmer's markets, you are not locked into anything at all, you guys. And that is the beauty of it. You can change your prices whenever you want. You can have a sale whenever you want. You can offer certain products whenever you want. And you will change because you're going to learn so much from your customers. Again, that's why it's key to build the relationship. You'll start learning your customers and they will start steering you in what direction you need to go just by sharing what cuts they like, when they like certain cuts, what they're looking for. And don't be afraid to try new things. I remember the first time we ever got soup shanks, I wasn't familiar with soup shanks. I had never cut soup shanks or, you know, cooked with soup shanks before. And our butcher had accidentally cut them for us and put them in our order. And originally I was so upset. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with all these soup shanks now? And, you know, this is a loss for me. And that really came around to bite me in the hiney because I just, because they weren't on my price list, it wasn't a typical cut we had. So I just simply made one flyer up. I had no idea how they were going to sell. So I made an original price, but then cross that out, put, you know, introductory price, soup shanks now available for this price. They were a huge hit and they're one of my best sellers in the fall. People are begging me for soup shanks and it all came from a mistake. (laughs) And then I, you know, kind of had to swallow my pride and tell my butcher, actually, I I want those now. (laughs) So don't chew out your butcher if they make a mistake. (laughs) For those listening, don't chew them out. It might be a blessing in disguise. (laughs) Yeah. We had one of the restaurants we were providing to, they wanted their hamburger patties pre-made. Well, there was an additional fee with our butcher to have those hamburger patties made. And in my frugal mind, I thought, well, who would ever 
pay that extra money when you can just make a hamburger patty yourself? And Jeff kept saying, you should sell those at farmer's market. And I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's a dollar more a pound just to buy that. So I took his advice. And again, we just made, you know, an individual flyer. They weren't on our price list. I put a picture of them up and those became our number one seller too. It came in this package. It was six burgers. It was about a $20 package and people loved it loved having that $20 price range, which again, your price range might be different for yeah. different markets, but that's what you're going to learn from your customers is about how much they want to spend every week. And those sold like hotcakes. I mean, my jaw was just on the ground. I thought I, I wouldn't spend an extra dollar. I'd save a buck and make my own burgers yeah, and be able to add your own seasonings in and stuff. Too. Right. <laughs> burgers. So that is probably our top sellers that the package of pre-made hamburger patties. Wow. So yeah, be open-minded, let your customers lead you. Because I have a relationship with customers and they feel open to talking with me, they'll even mention a cut that I'll say, I've never even heard of that. Let me go talk with my butcher, see if he can cut that. And we've learned and grown that way. And you know, you're going to learn what cuts don't sell as well. And when you harvest every month, you can make that adjustment there's just so many benefits to harvesting every month. So if it's something you can do, I highly recommend it. I think that's a great idea. And that would probably be the same route you would go for, like how you introduce the soup shanks with the introductory price. That would probably be a very similar tactic you would use for cuts that aren't moving very fast, correct? Or do you have a, a different way of going about that as well? Yeah, so a few tips for the cuts that aren't moving. You know, our product's a little different because we have to keep it in a freezer. So if somebody even expresses an interest in a cut, you know, oh, what do your New Yorks look like? I go pull them from our freezer and put them out on the table and I let them choose. So really be flexible with that with your customers. Oftentimes, once they see it too, they want to buy it. When you're just standing there going off of a price list, it's really hard to buy something. And Another tip, when you do that with one customer, then the next customer is looking over their shoulder <laughs> saying, oh, wait, I want that steak. So, you know, give your customers a chance to see your product. Again, because we're unique and have it in a freezer, don't keep it in the freezer. It's not going to hurt your beef. Obviously, you don't want a bunch of people handling it, but grab one package of something, bring it out or give them an option of two different steaks and show them the product. And then something I actually stumbled across by accident, I had some cuts that just were slower at moving or I had an excess of. So I decided to just make my own flyer where I put a picture of the cut with a recipe included. And if I had that recipe on my table when people walked up, 100% of the time, I would sell out of that cut. Whatever cut was being used in the recipe is what people wanted. So Instead of having all my recipes out at once, I would just kind of rotate each week, having one recipe out, getting that cut sold. Then the next week, I'd put a new recipe out and sell that cut. And it introduces your customer possibly to a new cut as well. If I'm doing short ribs, for example, I might have a regular that comes up and sees the recipe and says, gosh, I've never cooked short ribs before. Let me give it a try. And now they've added it into their repertoire of beef they, they cook up at home. 
So it's little techniques like that, that can really help you sell your beef. It could be as simple as putting a recipe out on the, the table. That's really good advice. And I like how you're saying you can uh, rotate through. So you can have recipe cards for your harder to sell cuts that people aren't familiar with and rotate them through. And it could be as simple as printing off a, a Word document flyer, or you can utilize something yeah. even like Canva, which is something I like to utilize where they have all kinds of fun, fancy things that you could really make stuff look awesome and print out on cardstock. If you wanted to get really fancy and put it on actual recipe cards, you could do so much with that. But keep in mind, you can start out super simple and then build up to some really fun things. And that's a great, I love that, Allison. It's a great idea to be able to introduce people to new cuts and introduce new recipes because I don't know about you, but we get sick of the same stuff that we continuously over and over again. It's like, (laughs) I really need a new recipe because our food is so boring. (laughs) And that's a really good way to break up the monotony of uh, people's regular dinner routines. Yeah. A lot of these people, they just need to know how to cook a new cut. And once they do and you give them the tools to do that, that's the only push that they need and they'll be coming back for more. And on another note of that too, know your vendors and incorporate the other foods that are being sold at your market into the beef that you're selling. So for example, somebody comes up, they want the hamburger patty. I might tell them, okay, you need to go to this vendor. He has the best tomatoes for your burgers and then go to this guy. He's got the best onions. And then, you know, we had a, a baker that had the fresh made hamburger bun. If you can give your customer the whole package of everything that they can get right there at farmer's market, they're going to be more apt to buy it. Or even we never got around to actually doing it. So I don't know if it would work or not, but an idea, there was a couple vendors. We thought we should just make a pre-made meal package for someone like the burgers, you know, putting together a little small box that has a couple of tomatoes, onions, the buns, some ground beef, the uh, microgreens, special sauces that people made there and they could buy the whole box and it's a dinner in a box. So work with your other vendors. Again, the customers that are coming to farmer's market, they are there for a very specific reason. They want good quality food. They want to support local. They want to know their food source. And when you are encouraging them to buy from other vendors, they really respect that and they see the camaraderie and it's gained me a lot of business just by supporting my other vendors. Also, this is a touchy one, trading. This is kind of a hard one for beef vendors because we have such a unique product because whatever we go home with, doesn't lose value where all the other vendors, you know, whatever doesn't sell at the end of the day is going to go to waste. You know, the second they pull it off the vine, it starts deteriorating or the fresh baked breads only last so long and whatnot. Trading is big among the vendors. So you really have to think about what you want to do as a beef vendor. We personally chose to be part of the bartering. We wanted to support our other vendors We wanted to keep that camaraderie within our farmer's market family. And we feel like in the end, it really, really paid off for us. These guys would come up with all this, you know, produce. Do you want this? And they were happy because they were going home with beef. And you have to watch it because you're going to get the ones that try to take 
advantage of you, yeah. you know, that just bring up you know, food half rotten and whatnot. So you kind of have to feel that out and kind of know how to play the game right. But when you do that, it speaks volumes and it really, for us, it really paid off because A, they're eating, they're going home and eating your beef. So now when people come up and buy their produce, they're saying, oh my gosh, you have to have their beef. So good. You're getting referred by other vendors. You're keeping the camaraderie. It boosts the morale. And again, it's like free advertising with the other vendors at the market. If they know your product, they're going to encourage people to go buy it. I did, we did have one other, they weren't beef, but another meat producer that had, you know, an organic meat and it was just too valuable to trade with anybody. And I'm not saying that's wrong. And that might be the choice that you have to make so you can make the most off of your product. But I did see it did kind of hurt them. So again, just be savvy with it, feel it out. And another thing I ended up in, you know, the day after farmer's market to make sure it wasn't a complete loss for us. I'd get home and spend a whole day in the kitchen, just, you know, meal prepping and packaging and canning to get the most out of all the, because it was wonderful produce. It was just a lot more than our family could handle in a week. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. That's a great idea because it it builds rapport and relationships with the other vendors and leads again to more sales and trust as well. There's yeah. a trustworthy source for me. And if other vendors are trading with you or you're doing these boxes that you're talking about, that's a great, really great way to build that up. Cause if a customer is a diehard customer or fan of the bakery and they suggest your beef, they already trust that baker. Right. So automatically they're going to have a trust built in your product. Right. So a few just little extra tips to make the most of your time at farmer's market is to be really open-minded about what you can sell at the farmer's market. And again, there's different rules for different products. So you have to look in to what you can do, but you don't just have to stick to your beef product. We have found a few other little tricks to the trade that help us make more money while we're there. And Every extra dollar we can make is beneficial. You're already there. You're already paying the fuel to get there, you know, the booth fee. So you may as well make the most out of your time. One thing that we've had a lot of success in is obviously we are whole animal use. We want to find a purpose for every part of the animal. So we also sell our ligaments and kneecaps. And even our beef bones, a lot of people do beef bones for broth, but we sell those other products for animals. Mm-hmm. And half of the people that come to our booth buy the bones for broth. The other half are so excited to have a natural bone for their dogs. So don't limit yourself to just human consumption, but be open to suggesting certain products for people's pets as well. A lot of people also like to buy our organs for their pets as well. So we actually have our liver packaged. We have it cut up into chunks like stew meat and packaged in one pound packages because not only is it a hit with the consumer, but they also like to buy it for their dogs. So be creative in how you're selling your product too. And you might not make a whole lot off of the ligaments and tendons and kneecaps, but again, 
every dollar you can make and being whole animal use is really going to benefit you. We also sell our skulls, which we can do because, again, we have a Coriani crossbreed, so we have a, a short-horned animal. So we keep all of our skulls, and we sell our skulls as home decor, and that's been a real success for us. That's a really good idea. So for those of you who have Highlanders or Texas Longhorns yeah. or the Coriennes or any of the other you know, horned cattle, if you have maybe some uh, the horned dairy beef mix in your herd, that's a fantastic idea because people really enjoy that for their home decor. Yeah. And, you know, the skulls themselves, those sell for a lot of money. We actually sell ours for probably half what we could if I really pushed them. But for me, I don't want to take the time to have to sell on Etsy and do all the marketing or shipping and all that stuff. If I'm already at Farmer's Market, if I can just, we have so many skulls too. So if I can just sell even one a week, it's a nice extra paycheck there. So we actually price them at half as much as what they would go for in the general market just so we can move it. And it shouldn't cost you any more to get all these items. I know every butcher is different, but for us, we pay the hanging weight. So I'm already paying for a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So anything I can sell and get money back for, it doesn't cost me any extra at the butcher, but it's more money in my pocket. It's a higher profit margin. So quick question then. So do you guys boil your own skulls then, or do you have somebody else do that for you? Oh, well, we have a secret there. (laughs) You don't have to share if you don't want to. No, I will share because you guys got to be, it's building these relationships. You stumble across opportunities. So Jeff actually built a cage where we could have them out in the elements and let the bugs do a bit of the work first. And then he, he did have a huge tub turned into like, I thought, how are we ever going to boil? I am never going to get water to boil in this thing. So we had this big cage and he put all the skulls in them so coyotes and stuff couldn't take them, but all the bugs could get in there and do their job. But it was like a year-long process. We would then do a hydrogen peroxide bath with them and kind of clean up the skull. But again, it was like a year-long process. Well, one of our fellow vendors walked up one day and said, well, how do you get these skulls like this? And we were telling him he was interested in getting the heads from us. He wanted the head with all the meat on it, the eyeballs in it. He wanted everything. And his family, it was like a luxury. So we worked out a deal with him where he got to take a fresh head home with him. He would boil it. The family would eat all the meat off of it. And the very next week, he would come back with a beautifully clean skull. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so instead of waiting a year, we were getting a batch of clean ones every week. And he loved it. The only compromise we had to make was also letting him have the tongue with the head, which we sold tongues separately. That's been a big success for us as well, um, selling beef tongues. But to us, it was totally worth it. You get the head with the tongue, and a week later, we'd have a beautiful skull ready to sell. Wow, that is fantastic. I would never thought of that because my husband and I, we are hunters. So whenever we get you know, uh-huh. a beautiful bull elk or a buck, whether it's whitetail or muley or whatever. We have our process for cleaning the skulls because we incorporate some of those into our home decor. 
And, you know, it's quite the process where some people will do bugs, you know, with the taxidermy process with the beetles cleaning them, uh, like ourselves, we have something to boil the skull and it's quite the hassle to get the skull to fit in there. Right. And then we, right. we can pressure wash them as well to clean them out. And then the bleaching process, but sometimes we have to do it a few times to really get these skulls clean enough to be in the house and not stink. Yeah. So I like your process. Even your year long process is a really good idea for people who want to set that up. Uh, but how neat. I would have never expected that. What a great opportunity. And everybody wins. Yes. And again, it's just, it's knowing like the time of year. Again, we have, I can usually sell one every week at market, but then, you know, at Christmas time or Father's Day or something, Father's Day is a big one where a lot of women, want, you know, want to buy a skull for their husband for Father's Day and Christmas people are shopping for gifts. So they become big sellers then. So it's a nice extra product to have on hand. And then just some other ways, you know, you feel free to try new things. People really like convenience. So again, like with the pre-made hamburger patties, people are willing to pay extra for that. I just gave it a try by making my own bone broth. Again, in my frugal mind, I thought, oh my goodness, someone can just buy a bag of bones from us, go home and make their own broth. But Broth is a really popular item. I saw what people were paying for it in the stores. And I thought, well, let me just offer it and see if it moves. And that was a big success for me. Um, people like the convenience of having it done. And I was making, I want to say, seven times more by selling the broth than I would on a, selling a bag of bone. Oh, wow. I was able to make a batch a week of bone broth. And that's all I would take. I didn't want to overextend myself. I mean, we're so busy. You know, I'm homeschooling and have three kids. So if you have more free time on your hands, you can definitely make more batches of bone broth. But I just had this idea of let me see if I can sell bone broth. And it really worked for us. It only cost me a bag of bones. And I would get all the produce that I needed for the broth at the market through the trading. So I was using all this fresh organic produce to make the broth. And then it was just simply the cost of the jars, which all my customers ended up always bringing back to me, <laughs> which was really handy. So, you know, don't be afraid to try something, get outside your comfort zone to see if that's another way of bringing in some money. So I could sell a bag of bones for $8.00. I was selling a pint of bone broth for $10 and mm -hmm. I could make eight pints out of one bag of bones. So that shows you the difference, yeah. you know, a bag of bones versus $80 in bone broth. Oh, that's fantastic. And then my final tip, trying to think if there's anything else, but again, being whole animal use, I taught myself how to make tallow candles and that's, it's a little time consuming, but it's a very easy process. And I just used the fat from our animals and rendered that fat and mixed it with essential oils and had a mason jar candle made. And again, people like the whole animal use. They like the all natural product of having tallow and essential oils instead of chemicals and fumes that are bad for you. And I just had a sticker made to put on my candles and you know those last forever yeah so you can make a batch yeah. of you know work on candles for a week and it's just added income 
because again, it's no extra cost to the butcher, just more money in your pocket in the end. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great idea. I think a lot of people might not think of, you know, outside of out of the box thinking on how you can be whole animal use and something that popped in my mind while you're talking because you guys run Coriani crosses and I'm sure you have a lot of animals with beautiful hides since the Corianes come in all beautiful colors. Have you guys ever thought of processing the hides for cowhide rugs or anything like that? Or is that not profitable enough? I have for us, it wasn't going to be profitable, but it's not to say it would be that way for everybody. Sure. I think in our area where we are, it because I wasn't going to do the work. I have too much on my plate. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But if we had someone do the work, it was going to be just as much as what I would sell them for. So it was kind of a moot point, but that is a great idea too. And that's what I mean. Don't stick. These are just some of my few tips. I think I just want to show examples of thinking outside the box and, you know, don't stick to just the beef. I mean, you can even sell pictures. Yeah. I had big, which we'll talk about that in the booth display. I had some big posters made where I wanted to show the story of our life and our ranch and give people a peek inside. Someone, I have people asking for copies of these pictures. And I'm like, wow, this, this was just to show you our ranch. Um, I am not a photographer, but I know, especially a lot of the gals out there ranching, I see... I see what y'all are doing and you guys take beautiful pictures on social media. Make a calendar for your ranch. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that in the future. I don't have the time now, but some of these social media pages I follow, I see what you guys are doing and I think you could easily compose a calendar and then it's just marketing for your ranch as well. As well when you have your calendar up in your house and it's got the ranch's logo on it and they can say this is where I buy beef from. Yeah. So I think that would be a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. And even like back to your the pictures, put them in a frame and uh-huh. put them in your booth display with the yep. price tag on them. And people really enjoy that for home decor. And that's a fantastic way to do it. And takes with our fancy dancy smartphones, takes a few seconds to take a beautiful picture, even if you don't have a you know professional photography camera, you can print them out and make them look really nice or even put them on some canvases for fairly cheap. Right. So yeah, think outside the box. And, you know, you have to remember too, what seems so ordinary and mundane to us is really special to people that don't ranch, (laughs) you know? So don't underestimate what you might have to offer. It might be very valuable, you know, to someone else. I mean, I have one picture I put up of Jeff bringing in the herd. And it's so funny because they know they're buying ranch direct. They meet Jeff, but then I put that picture up and they're like, wait, is that Jeff? And I'm like, who else do you think it is? You know, we don't have somebody else out there doing this and then we're just selling beef. But people find that really cool and special and they want to see, you know, it's kind of romanticized the life we live. Make a profit off of, you know, the documenting the photos of your ranch. Oh, that's fantastic. And these are also great ideas too, to put on your website. If you're not shipping your beef direct yet, or say you don't want to, some of these other items like the candles and the pictures and calendars are great things to have on your website for other folks who follow you that are not in your local community or in your state. So another great way to bring in some income there. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we have our chickens because we have our mobile chicken coop for working the land. 
So we don't have enough eggs to just have an egg business, but I got certified so we could sell our eggs at Farmer's Market. And I'm, I think I take like about 20 dozen a week and I'm there anyways. May as well take something else to sell. So you can incorporate little, you still want the focus to be obviously on your beef and your beef business. But if you have something on the side that you can take as well, I would definitely do that. If you're a really good cook, if you can make uh, pre-made meals, again, convenience, I know you could like, I haven't done this, but you can make a stew and, you know, put it in jars and sell stew in a jar if you wanted. Um, again, the, the rules are going to change a little bit. I know you have to get certified to cook out of your home. Right. So you might, yeah. that might be too much for you, but these are all options to make even more money with your beef. These are all great ideas and just the, all the ideas you need to just keep going with so many other different venues or, you know, avenues with this. And it's fantastic. Like the possibilities are endless with all the things you can do. And even say your spouse is the one primarily raising the beef and you're a great baker and you can have your cottage, yeah. like here it's called a cottage food license where you can cook a recipe out of your home and you can have additional yeah. things to complement certain cuts of stuff would complement a meal. And it's another income stream. And that's another great way to keep promoting what you're doing. Or even if you have older kids who are interested in baking, or maybe one of them's interested in taxidermy and wants to do the hides as a hobby right. or whatever, you know, you can incorporate the family in that too. Just like you were talking about with the chickens, eggs are a great way for little kids to practice their entrepreneurial skills and sell the yeah. eggs and have a little table in your booth with them. You know, just all sorts of fun things. Your yeah. ideas just keep popping in the more we talk about this. And it's really neat. Yeah. And it, it's funny you say that because it was our kids' eggs. Oh, funny. Our kids always, yeah, <laughs> they always attended. We did market as a family, which that could be a whole other topic, doing farmer's market as a family. It is a lot of fun. You do want to pull your hair out at times, <laughs> but it actually, it's a wonderful environment to raise your kids in. Vendors are usually really supportive of it. I loved it. My the vendors just loved all my kids all the time. My kids always know where their food comes from because so-and-so raises this, yeah. so-and-so grows this. And then they do learn. They have their little entrepreneurial skills. You know, they learn how to look at customers. They have to look them in the eye. They have to talk to them. Yeah. But they were with us. And then we wanted to give something to them that they could kind of have ownership over. So it was part of our homeschooling. We did a whole thing. They had to take money out of their savings account and buy the chickens. And then they had to pay themselves back their startup costs. And man, I, I don't know who went buy eggs from little kids. Oh, right. so, cute. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they were very excited to have their eggs being sold out of our, our booth. And our customers just love supporting the kids egg business. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is fun to have the whole family involved in, like you said, let everyone contribute what they specialize in, for sure. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to incorporate the whole family in, especially if you're a homeschool family. What better way to teach your kids not only communication skills, but also business skills and math skills and so many other different things that can go into that. Yes. All right. This episode was so good. We had to spread it into two different parts for you. So that is the end of part one 
with Allison Askew of Arrow J Beef and Arrow J Ranch Wife. I am so excited to bring you part two where Allison continues to walk us through the tips and tricks, whether you are first generation getting started or you're multi-generation and want to incorporate the direct-to-consumer side. There is so much fantastic information in this two-part series. So make sure you join us later in the week for part two. Allison is also going to be talking about her J Ranch Wife business as well, where her and her husband will be going live on Facebook and sharing even more farmer's market tips and tricks and direct-to-consumer advice. So you'll be able to pick her and her husband Jeff's brain during these live presentations. So make sure you are following her on both Facebook and Instagram. That'll be linked in the show notes here. So tune in later in the week for part two. Until then, you guys keep after them goals. We are closing up 2020. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's set our sights for 2021 and start setting those goals. And if farmer's market is on your radar for 2021, get after it. Start writing down some of these tips. Listen back through on this episode and keep in touch with Allison. She is a fantastic resource to reach out to, as well as myself, even though I'm new to the farmer's market side. If you have questions on anything we've talked about during our podcast episodes, don't be afraid to reach out to us. That's what I'm here for. I'm on this journey with you, sharing it with you. So in the meantime, I am cheering for you. Let's make next year a fantastic year for our operations.